When it comes to writing copy, I remember that I was so terrified in the beginning. It really took some time to find my voice and feel more confident. But what helped most was educating myself in how to actually write better copy, like copy that would help me build a connection with my audience and that would also help me show up on Google and things. And that's why I'm so excited about today's guest on the show. I'm talking to Amanda Benstead, a copywriter herself and now also a copywriting mentor who is dedicated to providing small business owners like you the tools they need to write with confidence and clarity. Amanda shares so many great tips and insightful advice in this episode. So grab a notebook because you're going to want to take notes, I promise. And if you want to learn more about how to write copies, structure your website, create great blog posts that help you grow your audience and all the things, this is also something we cover in my program, Blissful Biz Incubator, beside building your online business from the ground up. Go to SusanneReiker.com forward slash application to apply now. It takes only two minutes and there's no obligation to enroll. So definitely check it out. That's SusanneReiker.com forward slash application. Okay, and now let's dive in. Hey there, welcome to the Blissful Biz Podcast. I'm your host, Susanne Riker, here to help yoga and wellness entrepreneurs build a thriving online business. If you're ready to make a bigger impact and earn money online, you are in the right place. Each week you learn about websites, digital products, social media strategies, and what's working now to build your online business. And now let's get started. Hi, Amanda. Welcome to the Blissful Biz Podcast. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. So for everybody who doesn't know you yet, um, can you just like introduce yourself in a few words, sentences? <laughs> You'd think as a copywriter, I'm really good at a few words, but unfortunately, I'm so talkative that it really is. <laughs> I am a SEO copywriter, which means that I write website copy um, such as service pages, home pages, and also blog posts uh, to help people attract the people they really want to serve and convert them into clients and customers. So get found on Google and stuff. I know there are people yes. listening who don't know what SEO is. So, yeah, <laughs> search so SEO optimization. Is <laughs> Yes, exactly. Search engine optimization. It's uh, essentially helping your website pop up in the top results on Google. I love it. Um, and um, so I think you've started um, in a, in a, working in a company, right? Writing copy as an employee or... Yes, absolutely. I stumbled into my career path. I was hired by a, um, a digital marketing agency and they were looking for a junior copywriter. And I just finished my journalism degree and just slid right on over into marketing and I never left. <laughs> I love it. I, love it. I also have a background that I worked in digital agencies, but you know that. Right? We actually met. When did we meet in Bali? Like really years ago. Um, 2017, 20, something like that. Yeah, I think yeah. 2017. <laughs> <laughs> and then we met like like every year or something. Every it was wonderful. Around. Yeah, yeah. Those were the days. 
I love it. Um, so, um, website copy, I know it's such a, an intimidating task for a lot of people <laughs> to sit, you sit down mm -hmm. um, with that white paper in front of you or that empty page in, in word, <laughs> and um, you don't really know where to start. So I yeah. have, yeah, yeah, I have a little spoiler, a little teaser. I don't know for your listeners. And that is that even though I am a trained cop, eight years experience, it's always exactly the same for me. <laughs> Yeah, that helps, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, that doesn't really help. That's like makes you more relatable, and but people want to know that they can get over that. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I have I've had to develop my techniques for doing this. Uh, now, look, actually, there's a couple of ways that you can get over that writer's block quite quickly, and that is by doing your research. That sounds really cliched, but in truth, if you do the right kind of research, you're given all the information you need to start. You, you're basically handed it on a plate. So it's once you've done that research, the words will flow. You mean by research as reading other people's blogs or content or... Not necessarily. That's a component of it. But sometimes it's better for me, I find, to actually switch off a little bit from at least from competitors. I often find uh, people whose websites I'm inspired by and use that as a template to formulate the pages myself. But for me, the re research mostly comes from learning what your readers want to hear and the struggles and the pain points that they're going through and echoing that back to them with the promise of a solution. And that's a very simple formula that almost every copywriter applies to website copy. But once you've got that research and that data, it's easy to apply it to the page. Where do you start, though? Where do you start your research? Now, that's a little bit more of a difficult one. If you're an established uh, business owner, it can be quite easy because you collect testimonials, right, and reviews throughout your career, throughout your business. And once you've got a decent number of testimonials and reviews set up, you can actually trawl that and find the information. People may often say, uh, I was just not feeling up to scratch, really unfit, not my best self, and I was inspired to go to this class. And when I was in this class, I learnt X, Y, and Z. I loved X, Y, and Z, and that's why I recommend this program. So they're basically telling you where they were at and what they loved about your program. And from that information, you can simply transfer it onto your page and it will resonate with other people. I love that. I, yeah, and I totally agree. It's like really, um, um, I automated that actually. Like when people buy my website course, they are added to an onboarding email sequence. And after a certain mm -hmm. amount of time, where I'm guessing that they are hopefully done with their website, um, they get the invitation to a feedback call with me. And from that, I actually create my testimonials. And of course, I get like feedback, like, where they've been struggling, what they've learned, what they especially liked about the course and, you know, all the good things. 
That's perfect. You have it. You have it down. That's exactly what you do. I do the same when I finish with um, my clients. I send them a feedback form with questions specifically formulated for me to be able to drag out the information that I need to write future website pages. Yeah. So that's like a good step. I think also like interviewing uh, your potential or your clients is a really good first step as well, and simply talking to them and getting their direct words and listening more than you speak. <laughs> Absolutely. There's a there's a term called social listening, which is simply putting your ear to the ground, the digital ground, and hearing what other people are saying. So I'll have people popping into my Instagram DMs asking questions or expressing frustrations, and I note it. I actually have a little spreadsheet where I write down what they're writing to me so that all the time I'm collecting information around me, and it's the same when I get on phone calls with clients. I record the data and then put it into this spreadsheet, and I have a very simple spreadsheet that has a column for struggles, a column for what they're looking for, a column for the end result they want. And using those columns, it just, it translates beautifully into the structure of a website page. Well, that's a great tip too. Yeah, just really, um, I have like screenshots everywhere, but I don't really, mm-hmm. I don't really organize them. <laughs> Probably don't get enough. <laughs> it does get messy. I have yes. the same. <laughs> So um, when I started out, I very often, you know, like I, um, I used copy that I liked and then I edited that, but um, it really took a while to, I don't even know if I'm there, probably not 100% to, to, to um, infuse that with my own voice and my personality. Mm. And I don't mm-hmm. even know like how, how you get started there. So how do you get started? How do you get That's started? Like huge... finding your own voice when it comes to your copy. Mm, so that is a huge one. Um, and I struggle with it as well because in my kind of a career, I have to be a chameleon, which means I take when I'm writing for my business, I've got to find my voice, but then I've got to switch to my clients' voices throughout the day as well, which is why a spreadsheet comes in really handy. I actually have a word bank as a tab in that same audience research spreadsheet that documents the exact words that I use to speak about my brand. And that really helps, but If you don't even know what your voice is to begin with, I have two easy hacks. I say easy. They might not be so easy for some people. But the first is to simply journal. Just spend, I know not everyone out there is a journaler, but spend a couple of days or a week just journaling about anything. And then don't read over it until the end of the week. But once the end of the week hits, go back and read over it and pull out the particular phrases that you've used that you love. Because the thing with journaling is that you tend to just switch straight into a voice that comes really naturally to you. And if you're not a trained copywriter, you want to be writing in a comfortable way, which means you've really, the best option is to write in a way that just comes naturally to you. So that's like my first hack. But if you're not a writer, (laughs) which many of us are not, let's be honest, 
just speak instead. <laughs> so uh, you can do this on your phone. You can do this, you know, on Zoom just with yourself. You can do it um, even using um, speech to text functions on your laptop or on your phone or anything. But just talk into a microphone and record whatever you're saying and then play it back. And often that captures really organically the kinds of words, the kinds of phrases that you're prone to saying and that you love and that you think will resonate with other people. Yeah, I love that. I think that's a great tip to simply mm -hmm. record yourself. I think mm -hmm. I think when when I started, I had to I don't know, there were like things that I liked, but they wouldn't have make sense for me to do or use in my copy. Like um I don't know, like southern slang. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, and then I'm like, yeah. why would I even? That's not. I can't use that. That's not me. That's. Not... <laughs> uh, look, But that it's, probably it's... comes more as well when you write not in your native language. Yes, absolutely. I think you're probably adopting a little bit. Look, I actually infuse my own copy. My copy is just the words we use for a set of you know, writing down your your stuff. Um, but I infuse my writing with a little bit of foreign language because I am or aspire to be at this point a digital nomad. I'm, I sort of like to be worldly. And so a little bit of foreign language is infused in it, but you've just got to think about how you want to represent your brand. If you were a Southern business owner, then totally you would want to say y'all, right? <laughs> Yeah, exactly, exactly. But I'm definitely not. So No, you're definitely not. But another thing is that when you're doing that social listening and when you're collecting your audience research through testimonials and feedback forms and that sort of thing, is to actually pay attention to the language that they're using because ideally what you want to infuse is their language with your language. You want to marry it so that you have the brand personality that is distinctively you, but infused with the words and phrases and psychology, those struggles and desires of your audience so that when they read it, they go, wow, I love this person. They're so vibrant and happy, but also they totally get me. So how do you do that? So there's so much um, about Yeah, infuse your text with your personality. And um, mm -hmm. so let's say you have like uh, your website and a little welcome text. So some people would just say, so I could just say something like, hi there, I'm Susanne. I teach you how to build <laughs> an online business. I'm from Germany and I'm 50 years old. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so if you have a website page, the first thing that you want in that headline on your homepage is something that really speaks to your audience. And one of the biggest things that I see, one of the biggest mistakes that I see business owners make is that the website is all about them. So they do say, hi, you know, I do X, Y, Z. This is what you want to know about me. You know, the whole thing is I, I, me, I, my business. But what you actually need to do is you need to turn the language outwards so that you're talking to your audience. So, for example, you wouldn't necessarily tell people what you essentially read out is a bit of a mission statement, right? It's that sort of internal document that you have that's driving your business. But what you want to have in a headline on a homepage is 
a transformational promise. So you might want to say, I help uh, business wellness business owners uh, get their head around the complexities of marketing. And then you're actually tapping into a pain point, which is, oh, this is so frustrating. It's Marketing is so confusing. And a promise of I'm going to clear it all up and make it straightforward. Oh, I love that. <laughs> it really makes me just think, oh, I have to rethink my homepage. <laughs> mm-hmm. It all comes back to this, this spreadsheet. Look, I don't want to um, spruik my own stuff too much, but I am making this spreadsheet available to other people soon so that they can just, you know, fill in it themselves. But essentially it all comes back to having a spreadsheet that divides where you collect the social listening that you've done, all of those little sound bites that you've heard from the people you want to serve, and then you break it up into those pain points. We call them uh, benefits, so sort of the the thing that they've walked away with, the transformation, and the features, which are the specific things about your program that they love. And then that way, once you've done that, you can actually... Like, so this is what I mean by creating a template for yourself. Once you've broken these things down into features, benefits, and pain points, you can start a website page with a transformational promise that's based on the benefits that your audience has already talked about so that you know that's going to resonate with people because that's what they're looking for. And then you can list the features that they themselves have described as loving because, again, you know that that's what the audience is looking for. And you can include a little bit like, um, I know what you're going through, you're feeling X, Y, Z, and you're pulling that from the pain points. So that document, that initial research really is going to just give you a a cheat sheet for writing everything else. Ah, that's amazing. Yeah, I would love to see that definitely. So as soon as you can share something, you have to send it over. <laughs> yeah, at the moment I have, uh, you can follow my, me on Instagram where I'm documenting the process of creating this resource. Um, but you can also sign up at amandajanecopy.com forward slash BMT dash wait list and we can include that in the the notes I'm sure but essentially yeah, yeah, of course yeah it's called the brand messaging toolkit and it's all about gathering that research in the beginning and then creating what I call a word bank which is just a cheat sheet that allows you to copy and paste words into your into your word document as you're writing it really is the easiest way of sort of getting those words on the page love it love it so um, I know that you also do a lot of, um, yeah, you talked about it in the beginning, like SEO and blog posts. Mm-hmm. I'd love to talk more about that and um, get like your, I don't know, your favorite or your best three tips on how to write great blog posts. How to write great blog posts. Okay. Um, I know that a lot of people have difficulty Firstly, with getting words on the page when it comes to website pages and blog posts. But um, one of the big things these days about blog posts is that firstly, number one, it's really important to do SEO. You're essentially wasting your time if you write a blog post without doing any SEO uh, because if you don't do any SEO, the chances are that your blog post will be seen by the people who have received it Uh, through your shares on social media and email. But once you stop talking about it, it will no longer be seen. Whereas if you do SEO, 
that blog post can actually have a lifespan of up to two years. So I know. I talk about that all the time that I get like, <laughs> I get most of my traffic from my blog post. And mm-hmm. it's like over, I started my blog at the end of 2016. And since oh, then wow. it's been like really, like a really content library that's still gets me That's like amazing. hundreds of visitors every day. A few blog posts that I wrote like 2017 or something, they're still really, really driving traffic to my website. And yes. yeah, it's just like, I, w- I want to get back. To- now that I have a podcast, it's actually decreasing my Google traffic. Oh, interesting. Yeah, interesting. Google really treats it differently, I feel. Even if it's like a long blog post, like for my solo episodes, I have like the script. Um, for mm-hmm. interviews, I don't. So that's less content, right? And yeah. so I want to create more pillar blog posts. I really strongly believe in the power of um, creating original content and um, and creating Absolutely. blog posts. Yeah. So that I've was going it. I've to seen be... it in my own business. I've seen the results. Yeah, and that was going to be my second thing. So, so SEO is really important. I don't know what we can cover in that in this podcast episode, but SEO is really important. The second thing though is that there is such a competition in blog posts now. There are thousands and thousands of blog posts out there in the world and, you know, many, many, many blog posts that talk about essentially the same topics. So the real point of difference is that you insert your expertise. And that's something that is really quite original and unique because a lot of big businesses, this is a way that you can compete with really big businesses because a lot of big businesses employ copywriters who will select a topic, click on the top 10 search results in Google and regurgitate the information that they've found. Whereas if you write a blog posts, starting with your expertise, you've created something that doesn't exist online or, you know, far fewer of your sort of expertise is available online. So, my uh, my big recommendations is melding both that SEO research, which perhaps you can use to come up with the topics and the structure, but then infusing that with your own expertise and uh, information to really meld, like bring home your authority on this matter that you're talking about. I think that's so important. I totally agree. Maybe also infuse it a little bit with your story. So you don't want to Absolutely. sound like a Wikipedia article. And this happens, I know, to a lot of my listeners, a lot of my students, you like you were teachers and then you mm-hmm. really know a lot about a topic, but you basically create a blog post that sounds like, I don't know, like uh, uh, some pages from your yoga teacher manual or, mm-hmm. <laughs> or a book. One of my... One of my favorite strategies um, or writing techniques for blog posts, and this is one that's not easy for a copywriter to to achieve who's writing for other people's businesses. So it really gives you a leg up in that you're writing your own stuff. And that is that there's a a technique called in media res, which means that you're uh, starting your blog post in the middle of a story. So you're describing a scene that you were in, a personal story that you were in, that has some kind of relevancy to the blog post topic that you're talking about. And in that story, you it might begin by saying, for example, I was perched on a clifftop gazing at the rising sun as the birds uh, twittered in the background when I realized X, Y, Z. And that can be 
you know, the introduction to a blog post. And by adding that personal element, you're engaging people right from the start. You're really capturing their interest and like encouraging them to read on. I love that. I'm sorry. I'm distracted. Luna just got up and she's just like looking out of the window. <laughs> I would be distracted by that dog as well. She is horrible. <laughs> yeah, she's not really helping me focus. <laughs> <laughs> so rule number four, put the dogs away when you have to write a blog post. <laughs> Otherwise, you're only going to create dog content. <laughs> oh, yes. Well, hey, that might be a great blog post on distraction and productivity. <laughs> That's how you can start your story. <laughs> well, I have to say, I use stories of my life with a puppy, and especially in my Instagram captions. I mean, Luna has to earn, like she's like, she has to earn her food. <laughs> <laughs> By appearing in my marketing. Oh, absolutely. She would draw a crowd. <laughs> she does. She does. Um, no, but that's um, that's part of it, right? So that's mm -hmm. like part of sharing your story, of sharing your life. And that, yeah. that's what makes you relatable. I think that's something a lot of people struggle. And I know I've done it too in the beginning is this to really see yourself to to uh, embrace being a personal brand and yes. embrace stepping out of your comfort zone and, and, and like being vulnerable, sharing things about yourself. Mm -hmm. So allow people to get to know you, to like you. Yes. And, and I don't think it's easy for anyone in the beginning. It's just like, it gets easier yeah. over time for sure. Absolutely. And, you know, even now, sometimes I'll hit publish on something and go, Oh God, that's too vulnerable. And then I'll go and hide in my little, you know, vulnerability corner, feeling a bit overwhelmed by what I've just published. And then those ones are always the ones that get massive amounts of engagement that, you know, make people realize that they're not alone and attract more people to me. So it's sort of a reminder for me that that's a good feeling to have. <laughs> yes, that's exactly how you build connection. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. And um, I don't, yeah, you can't expect someone to do like, like that right, right from the start with every post or something, but no. I think it gets easier over time and you just no. grow and into you can, it. You can, you can absolutely begin lightheartedly with positive stories as well. But just I think that, as you said, that adding a personal touch to a blog post, especially these days when there is quite a saturated landscape of blog posts, it's just going to create a real point of difference. Yeah, definitely. But I mean, but it's important that you mentioned SEO before that, mm -hmm. um, because I've seen too many blog posts that are just personal ramblings which might yeah. be nice to read for people who already know you, right? And mm. um, But not really, it's not really what you should do to attract new readers like who want Absolutely to find you not. on Google. So do you have some tips? I think it's especially important for the title. <laughs> yes. So this is the thing. Uh, I mean, what part of my job is actually to go over old blog posts and optimize them, which just means fix them up so that they have SEO. Um, and I highly, highly recommend if you've got blog posts dating all the way back to 2016 and they're still ranking, go back and have a look and see how you can optimize them even further to reboost them. You can even republish to, you know, mm. to 
February 2022. And, um, and, and it will get a new fresh life, you know, by you updating it. But uh, yes, yeah, so with SEO, I guess the number one thing with SEO that a lot of people uh, run away from SEO because it sounds really technical, but the absolute number one philosophy for successful SEO is really simple. It is just be useful. That is it. So, for example, if someone has written, if someone has typed into Google, um, uh, what is downward facing dog? <laughs> for example, I, I mean, it would blow my mind that nobody, someone out there doesn't know what that is. But if someone types that into Google, then the article, the, the blog post that you need to write needs to answer their question. So when you find a keyword, which is finding uh, what people are typing into Google, when you find a keyword and you decide, I'm going to write a blog post about that, the first thing you need to ask is, what does this person want to know or to learn when they typed in this keyword and how can I deliver it? So for example, if someone typed in, what is downward facing dog? You would probably have an introduction and an explainer at the top that describes very succinctly what the pose is. And then perhaps add a video because that's increased usefulness. So people can see exactly what it is and the right posture or videos or graphics. So just providing the most helpfulness that you can in an article is really important. But as for your question, which was the heading, so the heading is obviously really important because uh, a lot of people, a lot more people see a heading than they do see the article. So there's a couple of things here. Um, the first thing is that if you want your article to be discovered on Google, uh, it is a good idea to put the keyword, so what people are typing into Google, somewhere in the heading. So you could say downward facing dog, um, what is it and how to get it right, you know, something like that in the heading. That's not a very imaginative title, but obviously incorporating that keyword some way into the title to show people that you're going to answer that question. But always, if you can, and this is difficult, adding a tantalizing element that makes them want to click through. So what is downward facing dog? I bet you didn't know this about it. You know, something that sort of makes them want to click through um, into the article, as long as you're going to deliver on that promise. Because if you don't deliver on the on that promise, they're just going to click away again immediately. And that ranks that page badly. And so that it will stop showing up in Google. Yeah, that's so important. Like when you call something the ultimate guide to downward mm. dog, you better make it really detailed. <laughs> Absolutely. You need to have it. It needs to be 1,500 words minimum. <laughs> <laughs> Is this still uh, is this still um, a thing? Like the number of words that you, a blog post should have, or uh, look, most data that I still look at shows that the longer the article is, the more highly it will rank. But I do think that uh, look, this is coming off of intuition for me. I do think that um, 
the reason why that's the case is that Google can gather more information about the article. They can learn its usefulness. If an article is really long, people will stand engaging. People will stay reading it longer, which affects your rankings. And so it's just more helpful in those terms. But at the same time, Sometimes all you need is to answer the question. And I think a lot of people will fluff about so that they can extend their word length, but at the expense of being useful. And that's just not good practice. So, you know, for example, it might help, like I said, to add different types, different types of mediums. So having a graphic or a video, um, and then answering the question right at the top for those who want to hear it, but adding some background or information below for those who are interested. But ultimately, it is all about being useful. The only real thing is that if you have, uh, say, fewer than 300 words, it can be really difficult for Google to figure out what the page is about. And if that's the case, then you need to expand your word limit. I try to do a minimum 500 words, absolute minimum 500 words per blog post. Ah, okay. Good to know. I don't really, I never really count the words. I just like, okay, quality <laughs> is more important than quantity. And absolutely. Because <laughs> so if you, if you're that. adding fluff, if you're not writing succinctly just to add word count, that's yeah. not going to be useful to your audience either. And at the end of the day, you just want to be useful because how your audience, your readers interact with that page is going to have the most impact on your Google ranking anyway. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mm. So um, how else, um, what, do you have some tips how to structure the content, how to make it easy to read, give your readers yes. the best experience? <laughs> so when it comes to writing blog posts, uh, for me, the structure comes quite naturally out of my SEO research. So what I will normally do is I use, uh, there are a couple of uh, free tools, but Ubersuggest is a really great one. It only gives you a limited number of searches, but basically what you do is you pick a top topic. So for example, let's say you picked the topic downward facing dog. I'm just going to stick with this, <laughs> run with it. Uh, say you, say you pick that topic, you type that into the search bar on Ubersuggest and it pops up with all the various things that people have searched about downward facing dog. So it might be what is downward facing dog? What are um, the various uh, alternative uh, sort of positions that you can use in downward facing dog? What are some good transitions for downward facing dog? So it gives, it can give you a ton of questions that people have used in searching um, just this topic. So Say you pick what is downward facing dog as the topic, the main topic, what we call the primary keyword, the main keyword you want to target. You want to select a whole bunch of secondary keywords, and they're the keywords that you use to form the structure of your article. And we always look for what we call, in blog posts at least, long tail keywords. So short Short keywords are like downward facing dog. That doesn't give you, if someone searches that, it doesn't give you a lot of detail, you know? So a lot of the time, if someone types in yoga program, there's no information about that. They might type in buy yoga pro program, and that means they're intending to buy or join a yoga program, right? But 
long tail keywords normally have an informational intent to them. They're looking for information. So when you when you see that nice long question or comparison, we know that they want to learn. So that's when we know to add it to a blog post. And so that's normally what I do is I will start with the primary keyword and then I will add a bunch of the secondary keywords and just make sure that that article answers any possible query around that topic that anyone might have. Um, so I think that answers that part of the question. What was the second component? How to write? Um, yeah, how to structure it. Um, so um, subheadlines, paragraphs. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. <laughs> so all of those secondary keywords that I mentioned will form subheadings. And it is really important that you actually format those subheadings as subheadings in your blog post. So that means that the HTML text, the special coding is says H2. So essentially the the heading is actually formatted as a heading two. Um, so no, normally in the easy breakdown, you can just click heading two, heading three, you know, that sort of thing. So it's really important that you actually format it, which a lot of people don't do, but it it's it acts like an arrow for Google, a little pointer that helps them find the information. Yeah, um, I think actually Google is smart enough to, to find the information in any way. But mm. I think they appreciate it. They see that you put in the effort <laughs> to. Yeah, if you if you use those keywords in uh, those secondary keywords in the subheadings, it can pull up that information. So one thing that we want to target is the featured snippets component of Google, which is where if you type in a query, it pops up with the information as a paragraph, for example, on Google. Um, uh, have you seen that where if you type something, a paragraph pops up and you don't even have to click through to the article? That's kind of what a lot of SEO copywriters ah. are aiming for now. And you'll find it if there's a how-to, there'll be step one, step two, and Google will show all the steps that you've written. So what you want to be thinking about when you're writing and structuring an article, it's not just the, the nature of, of formatting subheadings, but the readability and scannability of it because uh, most people read blog posts and articles in what we call an F formation. So they read across the page left to right and then, you know, they scroll down a little bit and read perhaps the intro, maybe the, the next paragraph, and then they tend to just tail off and scan the rest of the article. So it's really important that you write in a way that aids that scanning and keeps them engaged. So a lot of the time, huge chunks of tech text are not a good idea like they're they're atrocious and so when you open up a blog post and it's just bam this big chunk of text without you know short paragraphs short sentences most people are inclined to just click away so you need to make sure you've got short paragraphs um, and you know maybe three lines maximum before you have a new paragraph and then uh, incorporate things like dot points or bullet you know bullet points numbered points um, bolding important sentences having standout quotes anything that's going to help people uh, scan through the page and that's going to help them like it's going to catch their eye and keep them on the page longer I love it. Yeah, I think um, I totally agree. And I love the idea of secondary keywords. I don't think I've ever considered them when I wrote my blog post. Um, mm. But um, I think, you know, like, um, 
Oh my God. I think it's so important people move away from just using Yoast SEO, the plugin. Yes. <laughs> and thinking, <laughs> I have a green light. I'm all set. And yes, I'm like, no, I, you're not. <laughs> that green yep. light alone doesn't really mean anything. Absolutely. I can tell you, and, and this is something that I learned in my agency days, they ignore that light. And so most yeah. of the time it's red for me when I hit publish on things because uh, it is a very simplified form of SEO. And yes, it, it may be, I mean, they must have designed for it to make it work, but there are much, all you need to do is have a simple grasp of SEO and make sure it's applied in the article. And then you don't really need to focus too much. I don't add a keyword to uh, to Yoast, which is why I always have the red, the red light. But I make sure I've got the ticks on all the other things like uh, internal linking, images, you know, that sort of stuff. Yeah. But I don't actually add a dedicated keyword to the page because I just know that following the techniques that I've learned, it is covered. I think you still have to learn the techniques and it can be Absolutely. helpful in the beginning. It can remind mm-hmm. you, yeah, you need to put in a keyword. Yeah, you need to put it in your title and in your yes. first paragraph and all yes. that. But obviously, Google is a lot smarter than the than Yoast SEO. And like mm-hmm. Yoast SEO doesn't recognize variations of your keywords or secondary no. keywords or, yeah. So um, it's, and I think there's so much common sense when it comes to, optimizing your content for Google and just thinking about mm-hmm. what you'd like to read or what you would search for. And um, obviously, yes. like when you um, use like something like yoga retreat for a keyword, you know, never going to be rank like highly because there's so much competition out there, right? Mm-hmm. Even if you, the green light in, in your SEO doesn't mean you're going to rank on the first page, no. for, especially not for a too broad keyword. So absolutely. That's where um, we're getting a bit technical, but the search volume, the monthly search volume that shows up in a lot of the um, SEO tools that we use uh, can be quite helpful because it's a little bit like hashtags. I don't always go for the keywords where there's thousands of monthly searches because then likelihood is that you're competing with a hell of a lot of other people to target those keywords. So normally what is a really good idea, especially for something that is location-based, is, for example, if you host a yoga retreat where I live on the Mornington Peninsula and you type in yoga treat Mornington Peninsula, suddenly that narrows down the options so much that you are going to have a much smaller uh, competition space. So the chances are that you are going to appear more high up in Google search results. Yeah, definitely. I I actually once had a yoga retreat directory and I ranked really highly for keywords like Mm -hmm. yoga retreat September 2018 (laughs) or something, like with the month and the year. Um, right, interesting. Uh, yoga retreats in Italy, October. <laughs> <laughs> people know what they want. <laughs> exactly. People are searching for that. They really are mm-hmm. looking for something really specific. They want to book, right? Yes, yes. So that work yeah. really well. Yeah. Make that information prominent. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So I think that was really, really helpful. Um, do you maybe, you know, like now I'm really putting you on the spot, but do you have some really best practice blog posts that we could share in the show notes? Uh, I am 
sure I can find some. <laughs> Maybe just one or two, right? So yeah. just like because sometimes when you hear all this, it really helps mm-hmm. when you actually see it. Absolutely. How, how I it can look have- like. I have written many blog posts. <laughs> I can absolutely, I mean, a dozen's pop to mind. It will be a matter of narrowing them down. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, is there anything else I should have asked you um, that you wanted to talk about? No, look, this is a really broad topic. And I'm imagine for people who aren't naturally writers, it can be overwhelming. So honestly, my ultimate advice is just to At the end of the day, let go of everything when you're sitting down to write. Just forget everything. Forget SEO, you know, forget how you're meant to write. Just think about the person you want to serve, like that person in your head, you know, think about a student that you've had or a client that you've had that you had so much fun with and just write the copy for that one person. You can go back in and add the SEO, add the brand voice, everything, but the hardest thing is to get the words on the page. So my advice is to forget all the rules in that first draft and just get the words down in whatever form. They can be horrendous and not a single one of those words may exist in the final draft, but I promise you it is a lot easier to work from draft one than it is to work from a blank page. Oh, that's really beautifully said. Thanks for sharing that. that Those encouraging words. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, and I totally agree. Yes. I think it's really, really important to remember, like, um, who are you doing this for? Who are you serving? And that should always come first, definitely. Yeah, it's ultimately just about connection. Yes, definitely. So Mm -hmm. where can people go to connect with you to learn more about you? (laughs) Uh, So you can follow me on Instagram mostly at Amanda Jane Coffee. It's as simple as that. And um, I am attempting to work on my website blogging myself, (laughs) which has been a little bit, uh, I've been a bit neglectful of it, but um, I'm sending out a lot more emails as well. So you can sign up to my email list and see my blog itself, my very neglected blog on uh, (laughs) amandajanecopy.com. We'll share it in the show notes. Thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate you taking the time. That was a really amazing, helpful conversation. So thank you. It was my pleasure. (laughs) Thank you for listening to this episode of the Blissful Biz Podcast. If you like the show, please leave a review on iTunes. This would mean the world to me. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast to never miss a new episode. To learn more about how to work with me one-on-one, my courses and membership, or to get instant access to freebies, workshops, and more, go to susannoreika.com right now. Thanks for tuning in and see you next time. Hey there, interrupting for a short announcement. I'm hosting a virtual bootcamp to help you kickstart your online business from May 6th to May 10th, and I would love to see you there. It's the make your first or next 
$5,000 online bootcamp and you can save your spot for this free virtual event when you go to my website, susannereicher.com forward slash bootcamp. That's S-U-S-A-N-N-E-R-I-E-K-E-R.com forward slash bootcamp. I'm going to go live every day from Monday to Friday with a live training on how to elevate your vision, choose your profitable niche, amplify your content, nail down your signature offer to make your first or next $5,000. I can't believe how freaking fun, valuable, and powerful this virtual event is going to be. You'll get five live stream trainings, all of the recordings in case you can't make it live or need to leave early, access to my new community, the Midlife Biz Hive, including tons of additional trainings for you to dive in, the chance to ask any questions in our calls or in the community. It'll be amazing. This event is a real game changer, whether you're just starting out or you've been at it for a while, but feeling a bit stuck around the maybe $2,000 to $3,000 monthly mark. If you're eager for more and ready to figure out the online business puzzle, this is the perfect place to kickstart your journey to bigger and better results.